Hello, and welcome to the Six Cells podcast. This is Mike Nicholson from Six Cells. Today, I'm speaking to Claire Gleason Landry, or Landers for short, um, from Goodloop. Landers, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. A little bit snuffly. A bit snuffly, yeah. We can't. Yeah. I can't hear it. It probably sounds worse to you than oh, yeah. it does to us. Or I won't be I listening so. to this for a while. No, <laughs> I, I hate listening to myself anyway. Um, so, as is traditional, if you could just kick us off, please, by letting us know a little bit about what who Goodloop are, what you do, who you do it with, uh, and what your role is at the company. Yeah, sure. Um, so, Goodloop is about seven years old now. Um, it was founded um, by our co-founders, Amy Williams and Dan Winterstein. Um, Amy worked at Ogilvy for years um, on the Unilever account, and um, well, years, two and a half years, straight out of uni. And um, around about that time, uh, brands were really struggling to achieve cut through right they were no one wanted to see ads on the internet people were downloading ad blockers ads were getting more and more intrusive and following you around all over the internet and just generally being really really annoying um and at the same time after doing some volunteering where uh this was down in a it's it's like a soup kitchen um in argentina um they were able to feed 40 kids every day for $10 a week. So a tiny amount of money having a huge impact. Mm. And these um, soup kitchens exist because there's, you know, there's not always access to brilliant quality food and the food that people do have access to, you know, contributing massively to obesity and things like that. So Amy had been obviously working in an industry where literally half a trillion dollars flows through its pipes. And pretty much all of that was going to like, I'm going to call it old media, Facebook and, you know, the you know metas of the world. Um, oh, my goodness. Is Facebook old media? I, well, yeah. I mean, look at who's using it. We came it. from the Telegraph. Come on. Exactly. This is the oldest media. <laughs> um, and so there was a sort of bit of an, an earworm there in that people hated ads. There's loads of money in the ad industry. How can we divert some of that revenue away from those huge monoliths and give reason? people a reason to engage with advertising again. Yeah. Um, and that's where our sort of formats, which is our legacy product, was sort of built out of that, basically. When you, A, give viewers, people, humans on the internet, a reason to engage with an advert, and you reward them for their attention because more and more people are becoming so much more aware of the value of their eyeballs, yeah. um, it builds a much better experience for people. So that's what we do primarily. Um, we... Uh, we build ad units that people engage with more. Um, and the brand basically funds a micro donation to charity um, in return for review. And um, and everything that we've always done is underpinned by being a sustainable organization. So it's quite easy when you're setting up a very idealistic company and be like, and we're not going to do any harm to the planet. And so we always were calculating and making sure that our emissions as an organization were really, really um, sort of tight um, and that there wasn't excess. And so in the past couple of years, we've spun out another solution built upon that methodology that we were already doing to make sure that our emissions were um, accounted for. And we spun that out. And that's what I head up. So um, I'm the head of sustainable media at Goodloop. Um, and my job is to get people to start measuring their carbon emissions. Um, it's a it's a massive problem, but it's one that can't really be seen. Yeah. Um, you can't touch it. You can't taste it. Um, so, uh, and certainly over the past couple of years, there's been a huge movement within the industry around getting to grips with how big of a problem this is. It's kind of like a bit of a Pandora's box. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's what I do. That's what we do. Okay. Just going back to the experience for the consumer for a second. Um, yeah. So I, I've seen the ad unit on your website, obviously. But so so I come to a website and there's an ad and it's got like um it's probably not the term that you would use. I'm not sure, but like a, a good loop wrapper, if yeah. you like, that says if you watch this video, yeah, um, from Cadbury could be anyone. Yeah. Um, we will make a donation to said charity. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. Okay. So we. We basically repurpose pre-existing creatives. That can be a TV creative. It can be a pre-roll creative. Um, we only run in pre-roll slots rather than outstream slots just because we get much better views, uh, view-through rates on it. Yeah. And as you say, brand like Cabaret's will come to us and they have done, like they come back every year and they have some wonderful campaigns for the Cabaret's Fingers campaign. Mm-hmm. Chocolate Fingers, everyone loves those. The charity that they were donating to was like a youth deaf charity, uh, a charity that helps young people learning British sign language etc and it all the adverts had all using chocolate fingers within them within the creatives but you don't, brands don't need to build something specific it doesn't have to be a purpose-led campaign the the wrapper makes it purposeful so yeah there's a little countdown in there and it says when you watch this ad a micro donation will be paid to this charity on your behalf and yeah. you know the consumer gets that sort of momentary doing good high yeah um and it repositions the brand um and it helps build trust um and that's a major factor for us so a people are spending more time watching the advert in order to unlock that charity donation and let's face it during cost of living crises of which we just keep on sort of oscillating between multiple crises um people have got less money to donate and so um it's a really good way of you know making a little micro impact on the world but then of course consumers appreciate that the brand is doing something and putting their values out into the world and aligning with their own values as well yeah so do do brands come to you always with their own charities that they want to support or do they say we just want to do some good what charities are you working with both Both. yeah Yeah. so um we have a list of around about 250 300 charities that we've worked with over the past seven years that's our sort of library and so we're able to pick into that and say hey you're looking to reach this kind of target audience well we know that these kind of charities tend to resonate better with them or if you already have a pre-existing charitable relationship with one of these charities that usually exists on the you know boring csr pages of your website that no one goes to you can leverage that relationship um, with your ad revenue Um, there's no compromise in that respect they're still getting if they invest 100k with us they're still getting 100k's worth of media yeah um, because we work on a completed view rate but um yeah it's about aligning more with consumers values and what consumers want to see from brands excellent well it's obviously um good loop is obviously doing good because um in 2022 uh, the last complete year that you reported on um you donated 2.1 million pounds to 106 charities mm. um what do you think 2023 is gonna look like oh god um so we've ended our we we do everything a quarter out, so we've only got a half year so far, but um, it should grow to around about 2.5 million. So okay. it's been a pretty tough market, and obviously our charitable donations are directly linked to how many campaigns we sell, literally, because yeah, it's yeah. baked into the CPM. Um, and obviously this year has been a, a car crash. Yeah. Um, and actually when we think about it, like I joined three <laughs> in March 2020, um, so two weeks before we went into lockdown. 
and uh, we've gone from one, we've been able to navigate from through one crisis after another. It's yeah. been a tough few years, I think, and especially for small businesses. Like we're a startup, we're only 35, 40 people. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to expand into the US. So, but the good thing is in the US, everything seems a little bit more stable because, you know, they don't have to import their fuel. <laughs> they don't have to import their fruit and veg uh, from, you know, Europe. So the US side of the business is going great guns. And we've only had boots on the ground there since January. So um, Amy moved out there, didn't she? She did. Yeah. She's, still she's still out. She's still there. Yeah. It's, it's, How's she finding it? I think she's really enjoying it. I think it's definitely weird. Yeah. And bearing in mind, she's really, you know, she's from Shrewsbury. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so Between strange. New York. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's a really good community out there and there are also some really awesome, quite philanthropic organizations. So it's quite, it's, and also let's face it, the Americans love a little tax write-off when it comes to charity donations. So um, it's actually quite good hunting yeah. ground over there. And of course, individual deals are worth so much more same amount of effort goes into a 50k io here as a 250k yeah. io over there and so scale, of course yeah um so obviously there, there's a huge amount of good that can be done by advertising through good loop but um is there a commercial upside to the brand yeah 100 percent. so as i was saying it's you know the formats exist to not only drive attention but build trust um there is a premium price to it but that's because we buy premium inventory um, we're not just, you know, running on long tail crap websites. We're, you know, really investing in good quality publishers because we think it's really important that brands show up where people expect to see them. Yeah. Um, you can't have a sort of anti-bullying campaign and then turn up on... I was listening and publish the site with a sidebar of shame, for example. No, it's, it's sorry to talk <laughs> over you there, but that just okay. uh, reminded me that um, Anthony Crocker from The Telegraph, our we formerly worked um, there, obviously, at the same time, but um, he was talking at um, an Exchange Wire attention event last week, and he was talking about how they have, firstly, they've gone down the fewer better route, so there's only yeah. ever one ad on a page, but they've tried to do partnerships with a fewer number of advertisers so that people start to expect to see those brands and on the Telegraph. So whereas mm. perhaps when we were there, it was like, everyone's a fair yeah. game um, and we'll stack it high and we'll sell as much as we can. It's now one ad per page and bigger deals with a fewer number of publishers, yeah. which kind of makes sense, right? Because there are a certain number of brands that you could feel would feel like they should be on the Telegraph or they should be yeah. on the Guardian or, you know, just because of the, the sort of values of the of the two brands. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I'm ex-Guardian as well. I sort of done the rounds around National Press. Yeah, that's fine. Um, was after the Telegraph. It right? was after the Telegraph, yeah. The redemption story. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do know that the Telegraph is a very different place to what it yeah. was 15 so, years ago. So but... I remember being at awards dues um, when we were on the Telegraph table and the Guardian would boo <laughs> us and we went. So what, did you go and sit on the Guardian table and boo the Telegraph? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Fine, but it's honest. But you know... We kept on winning sales team of the year, so we didn't really need to boo you guys. No, I'm joking. Um, but no, uh, we had a similar strategy at The Guardian of Fewer Better. Just, you know. It was actually Nick Hewitt that was from The Telegraph that went to The Guardian that came up with that. Oh, it's like it's all Slap. planned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, go. The, I mean, the commercial upside is when you do good with your advertising, you build trust. Typically, um, we, um, we increase trust by around about 44%. And then and how's we, that measured? Uh, through on-device, uh, what they call brand Research. study panels. Yeah, okay, yeah. like oh, that's yeah, what it is. It's exactly that. And then um, we've done work with Lumen as well, um, and we typically deliver around about 
55% brand recall, which is awesome. Um, just one second of attention on a good loop ad um, achieves more than double the amount of recall of a standard pre-roll ad. So is that because the skin's branded as well? So there's an element of brand delivery from the moment it loads? Yes, exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and you know. It's so quite an interesting and important point that I think because I was talking to, um, who was I talking to about this? John Westbrook um, uh, uh, Viously and um, we were talking about the state of video at the moment and not necessarily in a negative way, but there, there's a lot of video pre-roll delivered on the internet. Um, that is a 30 second ad let's say, or a 20-second ad, um, and it only gets two seconds of attention, and the brand hasn't even been revealed by the time that yeah. the consumer's gone. So that um, that skin around the 30-second ad, let's say, that you might decide, no, I'm not going to press play and do a donation, but you still get something out of it because you still get the Cadbury's are supporting the Deaf Foundation, you know, so yeah. you still get a bit of message exactly. from Cadbury's rather than nothing if you saw two seconds of a 30-second ad. Yeah, and I think there's probably quite a lot that, you know, production agencies could learn from social here, right? You've mm. got six, six, six seconds on, that's hard to say, Yeah, six seconds on social, typically. And it's quite disappointing. It's difficult to say on the Six Cells podcast. I know, Jesus, sure. sorry. No, it's, <laughs> it's me being a bit dumb. But because production companies, creative companies still envisage things in a very sort of cinematic way. Yeah. And, you know, these are ads that are going to be watched in, you know cinemas around the uk the world and yeah. on massive tv screens no they're not they're going to be watched on a tiny iphone <laughs> yeah so um yeah there's a there are some skills that could be applied greatly so that we're not just using massive files that are 30 seconds long that you know as i've just highlighted you know get viewed for two seconds like yeah. It's pointless. It's so much wastage. Yeah. And of course, like we we see it as well. We For our video campaigns, we typically recommend, you know, 20 seconds. Okay. You're going to get a completed view rate of about 78%. That's high. Yeah. It's really high. It's because we, it's all skippable, right? Yeah. But we just say, Please we don't are, skip. don't skip. Yeah. Just a favor. Help us <laughs> just out. Just a favor. Don't skip. Yeah. And in return, we'll, um, we'll donate to charity on your behalf. So. Do they have to watch the whole app before the donation is made? No, they just have to watch halfway through. Okay. So watch 50%. And is that clear? Do they know that yeah. halfway through they can leave if they want? Yeah, there's yeah. a countdown that happens. Wonderful. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite intuitive. It doesn't sort of stand out as being like, that's a weird ad. And it also translates really, really well to things like connected TV and out of home as well. We have formats that do exactly the same, except instead of not skipping, we ask you to like scan a QR code and scannable CTV ads are becoming more and more yeah. the norm. The good old QR code with its renaissance post-COVID. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about that the other day. Like, um, apparently, when they launched in Japan, there was a big consumer campaign, so everyone knew what they were, and they were launched here, and no one said a word. Yeah. So in marketing and advertising, we knew exactly what they were, but everyone else was like, well, the, why is that? What's that little squiggly thing on the corner of that poster underground? You know, yes. it's like, yeah, it's bizarre. But then with COVID, of course, everything was table service, and people, as you came in, they showed you what it was and how to use it. And now, yeah. now it's, it's And a lot alive. of these things, I was in France recently, and every bill we paid was done that way now. Yeah. Like, you still get given a physical menu. Yeah. But it saves you waiting for the waiter to yeah, come. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's great. It's brilliant. The technology was there all along, but we just yeah, we just weren't using it right. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually working with a client of mine who's uh, an app developer, um, Will Yoxall, um, Untapped. Give a big big shout out, Will. Uh, and we were working on this app idea for uh, Prezzo restaurants, and it was before COVID. And we were like, "What you need?" Um, my local, just just to give some context, and quite a lot of them are like that. They buy quite unusual buildings, so. Like you have to be able to see around corners to be able to see people because they're quite interesting shapes. 
Um, and we're like, well, what you need is you need this app where people can order and they can call if they want like a, like another round of drinks. They can just press a button and it comes straight through to your till and all that. And we went all the way up to head office and they were all like, you know, yeah, yeah it's really good, but we've got loads of other things on at the moment. And of course, as soon as COVID hits, well, well, we need that thing that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't think it was a priority beforehand, but now it's pretty much standard, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Wherever you go, yeah. It's weird if you don't have it. Yeah. So, um, so what's not to love then? So it seems to get... More attention, uh, more brand recall, more trust, uh, more engagement. So who's not doing this and why? Brands that aren't doing it are typically the ones that perhaps don't feel they've gotten their own house in order yet. Right. They don't want to be called out for yeah. supporting one thing and then doing the other. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And brands, well, brands, agencies, procurement, who knows? Uh, they don't like the perceived higher cost. It's a premium buy. Um but is that because the inventory is higher? Yeah, exactly that. And it has the charitable donation baked into it. But yeah. that's... So the charitable donation is on top of the media cost. So they're paying a little bit more. Yeah. But, but, obviously but what they're getting back in return is shifting perception, yeah. intent to purchase, yeah. like marketing metrics yes. rather than just, is it the cheapest on my plan? Yeah. No, it's not because it's no. better. Yeah. <laughs> like it. Okay. Um, and but yeah, no, people can be reticent about it because there's been so much, there have been so many brands who have faced backlash, um, but like the most recent screw up, Nike in the past, mm. standing by Colin Kaepernick. Um, so some brands just don't want that. And that's understandable. Everyone wants a quiet life, but consumers want brands to reflect them. Mm. Like, you're not, we're not fighting to brands aren't fighting to sell more they're fighting to win market share right people are still going to buy toothpaste it's just which toothpaste um so yeah i think some brands can be really really cautious about it because they want to ensure that they're being really really authentic yeah um but yeah 62 percent of consumers want brands to take a stand on issues that are close to their heart it, it means something yeah. and i think post covid that has also been really apparent um there was so much more opportunity for switching brands in covid because you couldn't find anything yeah. <laughs> but toilet also, paper yeah <laughs> jesus yeah. um I'll but also <laughs> you know brands brands were really clever around that they those brands some brands went off and you know turned out the lights uh, those that didn't built equity during that time and that's really really important i think it sort of continues to shape Brands continue to shape the world that we live in, whether we like it or not. Mm. Um, and, so and big life moments tend to be when people switch brands, isn't it? And the COVID is not much bigger, as you say. We're all suddenly locked down and we get whatever we can get delivered. Yeah. Um, the toilet paper fiasco. But Next thing you know, you're eating, you know, Cross and Blackwell baked beans or something. I think we've got That's such an old school brand. I don't yeah. even think that exists anymore. I can't even think what beans we eat now but it always used to be Heinz for me it's like there was no other beans but my wife found another set of beans and maybe it's Branston I think it's Branston Branston, Branston beans. beans like which yeah. you won't go back now like, that's it it's Branston I don't know if that was a COVID thing but it just changed suddenly and that was it anyway no one cares about my you are wearing consumer. a bean coloured hoodie <laughs> This, Claire, is six cells orange, and I've decided whenever I go out in public from now on, I will be wearing six cells orange um, as, as a way of linking back to what I do. There's no badges on it, don't worry. Um, no, but, uh, just the Pantone. Bad, but um, yeah, just just. You look like you're from the tango. Ad. Bright orange. And at the attention event, I wore this very hoodie, uh, and as expected, I was the only person wearing orange there. So yeah. Got a lot of attention now. Got a lot of attention. Ew. There we go. Um, 
Okay, so so the brands that maybe are leaning away from this a little bit are ones that think that they might end up getting crucified because they're not quite got their, mm. their own house in order there. Fair enough. I suppose can understand that. Um, so we are, as an industry, um, as I mentioned that event last week, um, and there is a lot of work going on. You mentioned Lumen Research, an excellent company, um, moving from viewability metrics um, and towards attention metrics. Um, when somebody watches an ad to completion, I think you said 78% view-through rate, which is Mm. really really high obviously have you done any work with lumen on what that looks like in terms of attention so yes we've done a full study with them um some of the re- some of the results were a little difficult to discern properly like like there's a sort of attention curve of three in ten people viewing on average two seconds i think i said this earlier on didn't i with um in line with desktop outstream video norms with over 3x more viewing compared to typical desktop display at two seconds, which is pretty boring. Um, Good loop ads are predicted to generate over 2,227 attentive seconds per thousand impressions, which is great. Um, But yeah, as I said earlier on, our ads are more likely to be watched. Um, I mean, I find it hilarious. Of course, course attention is what we're buying. It feels like such a funny... Yeah, it almost feels like people have just invented the internet. Again. Yeah, yeah, like, I, know, I know what you mean. It's weird, isn't it? The, it's I, like, I that's why billboards Ada, exist. Uh, new was like uh, <laughs> attention, interest, desire, action. We've known that since I've been in the industry. Yeah. That's been around since the 14th century, I think, or whatever. And now suddenly we're all getting really excited about attention. But it's obviously the, it's the ability to measure attention yeah, as opposed course. to assume attention, which is what we've had to do up until now. But yeah, I mean, the studies that we've done, are, all they do is confirm what we knew already. Yeah. Like, and it's really great to have that, that um, companies like Lumen and we've done work with on device as well. Um to really really understand because we knew that people liked our ad units more like Mm. they're just like this is way cooler than just a standard ad Mm. even though it doesn't like do anything beyond having a wrap around it yeah but it so we always knew it um and people weren't skipping away even though they had every ability to and every right to if they wanted but it it's about where it shows up as well if you know when we deliver these campaigns we're not just banging them out on you know crochetmonthly.com Shit.com. Yeah. <laughs> Wikiemoji.com. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes sense. It's it's about, fi- yeah, and obvious to say, but it's about finding the place where people have got a little bit of time to, to consume the content and then giving them a reason to do so, right? Yeah. It's also about funding the right content as well for that content yeah. to exist. That's something that we really, really are super conscious about, like with both our products. Um our consumer-facing solution will never show up on sites that have been called out by the UN for spreading hate speech, for example. Yeah. We're not going to invest in... Well, that would be bad for, for your brand, wouldn't it? Yeah. Bad for our brand, bad for the brand, and yeah. bad for the charity. Yeah. There's three reputations to sort of uphold there. Yeah. And secondly, with our um, carbon measurement solution, which, you know, measurement has kind of... It's been completely commoditized, like... There are multiple suppliers that can provide you with that measurement data, but it's what you do with that data that's really interesting. And mm. and one of the things that we see are those long tail made for advertising websites, the ones that are generating the most amount of carbon. Get rid of them. They're not doing anything to change perceptions of your brand. Stop investing in them. They're not putting anything good quality out on the internet either. So um, 
So we have like a really clever publisher filtering tool that enables you to see how much carbon is generated per impression. Um, And so you can build sort of block and allow lists as you see. Now, we're not saying like if Bloomberg falls into that and you're running like a sustainable message and you're distributing it sustainably and measuring it and reducing, which we're always going to recommend reducing, um bloomberg for example i'm not saying that is the no, case no. are generating the most carbon you're not necessarily going to remove bloomberg on no. off there because you need quality news but you also need good quality journalism that's reporting facts about the climate crisis as well yeah. to exist so um i think it's just being more intentional about where your advertising shows up and making sure that it is reflective of these values that you're espousing in your creatives yeah authentically um yeah so i wanted to talk to you about that so a lovely little segue into what i wanted to talk to you about next is where do you think we are as an industry i mean uh, measurements obviously really important like do we know what our carbon footprint looks like as you said earlier it's invisible uh, to everyone um and as i admitted on a previous episode of the podcast i'm quite embarrassed that it was probably less than five years ago that i actually even it just hit me that oh i didn't think of the mm-hmm. internet as being a particularly big carbon producer for some reason it just thought everything's in the cloud and no, it's electric. Yeah. At least it's not print. Maybe it's because I came from print. I don't know. Yeah. I it's like, not we're print. not cutting down yeah, trees yeah. anymore. Look, these declining yeah. circulations, yeah. really good apparently for the planet. Second, <laughs> according to Dan G, um, we transfer apparently it's second to aviation on like something like 3 or 4% or something like that. So yeah. it's quite a big deal. Yeah. And it, and it obviously needs to be sorted out. But as with a lot of things in a lot of industries, a lot of the time, the talking comes first and then the thinking so comes talking. next. And then eventually the action happens. Where do you think we are in that cycle? I think we're in the thinking going into action. Okay, I really hope we're at the we're over the talking stage because mm. I'm I'm just repeating myself. We're yeah. all the, you know there are quite a few companies in this space now. Scope three, Impact Plus, Good Loop, the Good Net as well, um, Sidara. We're all saying the same things, and we're all seeing the same people at every single event, mm. and we're just in our little echo chamber of aren't we great? <laughs> Yeah. when actually I really, really want 2024 to be the year that this just becomes pri- a priority. It's this, yeah. you know, it's another... It's happening quali- at a brand level, isn't it? There's certain brands yeah. that have already taken this on board and they're, they're being, as, uh, I think you said, purposeful or intentional about your media, but it's not happening across the board. No. Is it happening at hold coal level yet? Is there agency hold coals that are going, yes. right, all of our clients will act this way to, as, as far as we can dictate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not going to 100% opt them in. It will always... Uh, yeah, it will... <laughs> You have to opt in rather than opt out. Some agencies we've worked with are like, everyone's going to do this. And if they don't want to, if they have a particular objection, they can opt out. But as an organization, we want to do this. Um, So yeah, agencies are doing a really good job. Agencies have built their own calculators. Um, There's a lot of discussion at the moment in some of those conversations is we shouldn't be calling them calculators. We should be calling them estimators calculator will tell you that two plus two equals four but we're working with estimates because it's so many really tricky bits of data do you know if so many variables are similar in their estimations or is there a big variance in what this estimator can do versus this one well it all depends on what elements of a campaign that you're measuring are you taking the creative asset into account for example Mm. Uh, if you are are you also taking into account the publisher site that you're running on if you're not what are like there are so many different ways to skin a cat with Mm. this 
Um, but I think it's quite interesting, though. Like, yes, we've kind of sleepwalked into this problem. Programmatic ecosystem has really, really, you know, facilitated a lot of this. Um, and it's just weirdly inefficient, even though it's efficient. Like mm. thousands of bids taking place on yeah. a single piece of inventory yeah. and all the resulting wastage, all that computational power just could just be avoided so how do you how do you buy and sell your media or you know on behalf of your clients is it is it sort of um pmps as opposed to open market is so it... it's a mixture so with our consumer facing solutions we can do managed service or pmps yeah. depending on how brands want it we curate deals for them basically um and set them up in a pmp but for our carbon solution that's about measurement it's not a sort of it, we don't we we can we we have some products that allow us to dictate where a campaign should be um running but right now we're at that let's just see where we're at and then you can start setting right so if you're a brand you're like we kind of want to we want to you know reduce our our carbon from our advertising by 25% by next year. It's like, where are you at now? Mm. Tell us where you're at now. And then you can start setting some targets um, so that you can actually demonstrate growth in this area and lead. That's a big problem as well. Like greenwashing is one thing, but green hushing is another. And that's What's the work. Hushing? Green hushing is when people are doing the work but they're not telling people that they're doing the work because they're scared of getting accused of greenwashing. And right. so they're green hushing. And the problem with that is that it doesn't, it doesn't facilitate, others. yeah, it doesn't facilitate progress at all. All it does is like, well, I'm doing it, but I'm not telling anyone. Mm. Um, you have to be really bold. And the advertising industry and brands, as I've you know, they are so influential um, that this is a kind of a missed opportunity. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I, I don't know, you can, we can all get painted into a bit of a corner looking for the perfect solution right but until we do those experiments and until we do all those tests we're not going to have the perfect solution yeah. we need to understand all those different workflows all those different scenarios for different kinds of advertising like yeah. there's no you know for a long time people were asking us for benchmarks and we were like we can't give you a benchmark yet because it's going to be based on an mpu that ran in france France has got a completely different energy grid to the UK. So the total emissions of that campaign is going to be completely irrelevant yeah. to you running a campaign in Spain or London, England. You know, we, yeah, it's complicated and difficult and really gritty, but we, all of the, the companies that are involved in this have been so awesome in terms of really putting this on the agenda. And I really hope that sustainability over the next couple of years, we're not talking about it in the way that we are currently, but that we're just treating it as if it's another quality metric to make sure that your campaign has de delivered in a responsible way, that yes. you've not funded terrorism. Ideally. <laughs> Ideally, yeah. always good. Um, that you've got a good viewability score. You've got a really solid, robust strategy around blocking, post-bid blocking, because, um, again, that's loads of wastage as well. Yeah. Like, if you're not putting the right brand safety um, parameters in place in the first place and you're doing it post-bid, then what are you doing? Mm. So inefficient. Mm. And that this just becomes another quality metric alongside invalid traffic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we've got an integration with IAS, and that enables you to be able to see your carbon score for that line item within Signal. It's very top line, but it's to be treated in the same way as you would viewability. So that's... 
after the campaign's run? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. More daily reports. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that. That was my next question, and that, and that sounds like a good start for that. We we talked about the carbon emissions problem being invisible, yeah. and it is. And like, if no one can see it, touch it, feel it, smell it, then no one does anything about it, right? So, so if you listen to Rory Sutherland uh, speak about this. Two, I'm cutting and shutting two of his talks together, but basically, that I think it works. So the first thing is he says that the interface determines the behaviour. So his example was if you put a big red button on your living room wall, firstly you'd think, why have I done that? But secondly, if every time you pressed it, it transferred five pounds into your savings account, people would save more. But because it's a pain in the ass to mm. transfer money into savings, people don't do it. So how do we as an industry, or how do we as a global people? figure out ways that people can make changes, understand what those changes are and have them front and center in their daily life, which enables them to do it. Mm. Because you can go through days, weeks, potentially months without thinking about it too much because you're busy doing other things. Oh, you're busy optimizing to viewability or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say it would be education and collaboration. Like there is a knowledge gap. This is overwhelming data. Yeah. And I don't know that many climate scientists who work in our industry. We probably need a few more. Yeah. So. But people probably think that they should know about it, but they don't know about it. So they don't want to ask because they don't want to look stupid. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. That's what I mean. When, when I was talking about, curi you know, earlier on when we were talking that curiosity factor is really important here. Mm. For an agency hold co to go, we're going to do this, that then needs to filter down. Yeah. But it also needs to filter up from the bottom as well. So it can't just be a strategy that's being spoken about on the C-suite. It, you know, and it can't just be included in a pitch. Mm. It needs to be absolutely intrinsic yeah. in everything that they're doing. And it also can't just be we do recycling and litter picking days. Like mm. that's not it. Something more concrete. Yeah, some, something much more comp concrete, but also really, really inspiring because the people that are coming into this industry and have been in this industry for the past five to seven years care about it. They care about society and the planet and you will retain more staff and you will attract more staff if you have values around this. Yeah. And then the other part is collaboration as well. And I think the companies that are involved in this, you know, a lot of agencies are, you know, they refer to it as being pre-competitive, right? They're all sitting on these working groups and panels and they're all sharing information. Um, there will come a point when they stop being pre-competitive. But, um, you know, you can't do business on a dead planet, right? And climate change has an impact on everything. Like it has an impact on supplies. It has an impact on materials. Um it's so interlinked mm. with every aspect of business um, that it's not just something that's for the just stop oil protesters to worry about, right? It's it's something for think, all of us. Yeah, I think communication is a big part of it. And and to your point earlier, if if somebody's in the thinking slash talking phase, I think they should still talk about that publicly. That I mean, that yeah. shock horror communications agency thinks you should communicate more. But even if you just <laughs> talk about your workings out and what you're thinking yeah. about on LinkedIn or blogs or wherever you do it, it doesn't really matter where you do it. Then people can think, oh, that's a good idea. Or we could do that. And then you can start getting inspiration. It can normalize it and, yeah. and it makes people think about 100%. it on a daily basis. 100%. And I also think it's really cool. There there were some some brands, it was a telco brand that said, right, we're going to be the first neutral carbon neutral network by 2025. Awesome. Love it that, that that's your ambition. They started on it and they were like, we have completely over-egged this. We can't do it by 2025. We've looked at it. This is harder than we thought. And they revised it. 
that's really cool. Yeah. Like, it's not just you've set yourself a really stupid target and then gone, oh, God, it's too complicated. Put it on, Everyone like... Everyone be quiet now. Don't yeah, can you put an error, yeah. error 404 yeah. on that page, please? <laughs> <laughs> Delete. Yeah. Like, it, I think, and this is, you know, what we're saying first, like, first measure, then declare, then set some targets... Yeah. Get reducing, measure again, declare again. Yeah. Like, and it just becomes. Also, I mean, the, the, the stats overwhelmingly say that if you show vulnerability and weakness, people are more likely to believe what you say after that. Totally. Um, so just saying, oh, we like 2025, oh, we didn't hit it. Like, just say it, we've. It's a lot more complicated than we thought. This is why. So you can learn from that. You can get inspiration from the bits that they've found hard, and think, okay, well, we're we're pre-warned so when we get to that stage we, we might want to think about that and it shows that they're taking it seriously rather than just putting a badge on it and going mm. aren't we brilliant you know, well, it's like, a bit like sticking your, out. a rainbow on when it's pride month yeah like that's not enough yeah you you know as an organization you your organization needs to be safe for people who are lgbtqia they need mm. to have the same opportunities as everyone else you can't just turn your logo into a rainbow no. So yeah, you do have to do the work, but everyone should be doing the work anyway. Like it's good business. Yeah. Um, but talking about the work as well, do yeah. the work, talk about the work because then other people yeah. are inspired and maybe sometimes pressured into it. And everyone seems to be doing the work. We better do the work, you know, yeah. like for those that are maybe sort of lagging behind a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And that comes back to the hushing problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Claire, delighted to um, have you on the podcast. Lovely to see you again. Good Is there any final you. thoughts about the industry before we go that you'd like to oh, uh, get off your chest? Burn it down and start again. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Here comes um, the next two and a half hours yeah, of the six hours. My polemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you know I've I've worked in this industry for twenty one years. Not that I look it. You don't. I, I know. Can't believe it. It's very oily skin. Mm. Um, and Botox. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I don't think I've ever worked. It, there's never been a time where it has felt more vital and way more inclusive than when I first started out. And, um, you know, when we worked at the Telegraph, it was horrible to be a young woman in your 20s working there, right? Mm. Um, and I think our industry has gotten so much better at being inclusive and diverse. Um, but there is still so much work to do. And um, I think if you prioritize society and the planet at the same time with your organizations, then you'll probably be onto a pretty good thing. So, um, yeah, that's what I hope that people will continue to learn that you can, you can, it's possible to do both, that you can make profit and be goodies. Yeah. And that's definitely what, you know, we're all about at Good Loop. And I think most of the people who work there, I very much share that vision as well. Yeah. You know, it's very much sort of like we're like a weird little little crew. We really believe in that mission. Yeah. That mission's so important to everything that we do and and we genuinely enjoy being out in the industry telling people about it. Yeah. Which is Cute, I'm going to embarrass you now. I've decided. I've been trying to think for the last 41 min minutes and 10 seconds whether I should bring <laughs> this up or not. But I'm going to sort of. Oh Christ! So I've always thought of you as a really good person, and you do a lot for charity when we worked at the Telegraph yeah. and stuff. And I'm sure you still do. And I spoke to Amy uh, on Clubhouse during the lockdown. I, I decided to move the Six Holes podcast over there because it was it was really popular yeah. for about a year. Um, and I said, oh, you've got someone working for you that I know that's absolutely perfect for your company because like, she would live that brand. And that was, mm. that was you. Yeah, I didn't tell me. her it was you. Yeah, that was you. Oh, that's really kind of you. Yeah, I still um, try to do as much as I can. Um, I went out to Romania to volunteer with dogs. 
a little while ago and I'm going out to Bali in January and I'm going to be doing the same when I'm there. Wonderful. Um, yeah. If any brands want to sponsor that campaign. I know, that'd be great. Yeah. If anyone wants to sponsor my ticket, that'd be yeah. great. No, I'm joking. I didn't take any holiday this year because I've just been traveling so much with work. Don't worry. Most of it was by train. Yeah. Um, but Oh, that's another thing. That's just reminded me. Oh, Can, shit. You, Jules, and uh, a few others <laughs> went by train, didn't you? We went by train. Like two, and two and a half days or something. We went by train and ironically, a tree fell across our track just outside Paris. So we were stuck. So the irony of traveling in a more sustainable way and getting taken out by a tree was yeah. not lost on us yet. Yeah, it took us 24 hours to do a seven hour journey. Yeah. I live in the brand. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I th we felt it was really, really important. Actually, it's a really pleasant journey when it doesn't go wrong. <laughs> yeah. When nature doesn't go against you, even though you're trying yeah. to help. Well, let's, let, I wonder what caused that mad storm. Uh, you yeah, know, all of this is, it's all interconnected. But that's really lovely of you to say, Mike. Um, well, and you do loads of good stuff as well. I mainly wear orange, but thank you. Yeah, yeah. no, you do, you do your thing. But thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, Claire. Thank you for being on the Six Souls podcast. <laughs>